This is the movie Hall of Fame for Thursday, July 11th, 2019, class of 1976. That's different. That's not what we were supposed to do. What happened? Change of plans. Yeah, a little bit. You, could, right. you couldn't make time to see good old Toy Story 4. Couldn't. That's eh, okay. Couldn't find the time in the day. Yeah. I saw it. You want to talk about it? Uh, Yeah, sure. Give me your thoughts. I, I thought it was excellent. Yeah? I thought it was really great. Cool. And I was pleasantly surprised, because I don't think anybody thought this movie was going to be anything. I, well, I mean, it's Toy Story, though. Yeah, but we, we all kind of knew, like, like, 3 was, like, it. Like, that's where it should stop. Right. Um, sort of like we were playing with house money here. Yeah, I know. It and, was bonus time. And uh, I... <laughs> And I kind of walked out of it thinking like, wow, like it's, it's just nice to, to see these filmmakers make a film where it's like, oh, we have a story that we actually want to tell. Right. Which I didn't think would happen. I just thought it would be like a, like a simple Toy Story story that's like disposable and no one really, you know, it's just, it's just what, another way. Would you describe the other three Toy Stories as disposable? No. Yeah. Not so why all. would you expect anything different from four? I, I think, it, did, did we all kind of have the notion that this just felt unnecessary? Yeah, I do, but <laughs> I I guess never doubted that if John Lasseter was returning to the material, mm-hmm. which I don't think he was involved with three, right? I don't think he was really involved with this one, though. Well, he was, and then there were some allegations, and they pushed him out, I think. Yeah. But my assumption was that if they're coming back, they at least have a take. Yes. Maybe it's not the most necessary take, but there definitely is, as you just said, a story. Oh, Yeah. But but like like something that's a nice progression. That's the important part. Interesting. I describe this one as like a nice epilogue, whereas like the the uh, one, two, and three just kind of feel like like the whole piece, and right. it's just kind of finished. And then there's like this one. Like I said, I, I can't in good conscience call it call it like an afterthought or anything. It, it just feels like like a final like 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 note. But does to, to send off with? So it does like fall nicely in that lineage, though. Yeah, very nicely, actually. Okay, it's like one the. <sighs> It's it's uh, what's a good comparison? Like I'm always trying to like compare these films to other other movies to give you an idea. But thematically, it follows kind of in line with uh, I don't know, follows f- like closer into parenting in the way like I don't know, <laughs> I don't know before midnight. <laughs> it's not like not like that at all. But <laughs> it's the before midnight of the Toy Story saga. But it's the fourth movie, so it's a little. I'm confusing. cool with that though. It's, it's sign me up, bro. It's about parenting. <laughs> yes, I thought it was a love story. I thought it was a Bo Peep, Woody love story. It is, but I think the heart of the film is is the, the the parenting messages that it's all about. I mean, that's where the really compelling stuff is. Okay, the film just decides to to use the Bo Peep love story as a way of like kind of finishing the series off for good. And we're sure it's done now. That if if <laughs> based on that ending, yeah, really, yeah, kinda. It's like, oh, I don't see them making another movie after this. All right. I mean, I, you could do it, but I think if you were to try to make another movie after this, it would then it would start to get a little like cheeky, and then it would be like, oh, wait a second, like what do you? Yeah, but you said that after three, though. That's true. We all said that yeah. after three. I guess they, they, you know, they'd have to be pulling out of like Halloween's playbook to get a sequel made. It's just it'd be ridiculous. Wow. You know, it's just like okay, what do you what what, what, what? seriously you're actually okay. doing this? It's that it's that kind of an ending where it's like, all right, I guess that's it. By the way, by the way, what uh, cinematography? These movies. This is like the best shot movie I've seen in in a while. (laughs) I'm serious. Toy Story looks the animated thing. Astounding. 
Okay. I mean, really, really clever stuff. And it, you know what? I I came out of it and I said, huh, okay, interesting. Toy Story, or not Toy Story, but Pixar could make a horror film if they wanted to. Oh, stop it. I'm not kidding. <laughs> this movie is scary as fuck. What? <laughs> this movie is really fucking scary. What are you talking about? <laughs> you, you just have to Listen, Pixar could do anything. Yeah. There's no question. They are, in terms of just like the average return on investment, it's mm-hmm. the best, most efficient film studio oh, yeah. of all time. Yes. No mm-hmm. no question. In terms of efficiency and quality kind of being hand in hand. Yeah, absolutely. I, I was, no, I'm serious. Like, I, it made me say like, yeah, they could do pretty much anything because aesthetically i mean and and just based on general set pieces yeah it could <laughs> there there are like horror set pieces in this movie is this one of the better recent pixar sequels i i i i, I like it more than incredibles 2 okay how about yeah. finding dory yeah i like it more than that you didn't see monsters university right no okay no. yeah that one wasn't great either no so that's good yeah wow i, don't, I was again pleasantly surprised with this one how's keanu <laughs> You'll love Keanu. Of course, I will. You will. He is. He's just. You know what? He was born to play this role. <laughs> he was born. How many times are we going to say that about Keanu <laughs> in the last six month period? <laughs> Every other week, it's this. We found a new role that Keanu was put on this earth to play. But it's just his like. <laughs> that's true. But it's just his acting style just fits the character he's supposed to play so of well. It's just very yeah again very very well casted in that way and it's just fun what he's asked to do. I just love yeah. It's just fun. Dude, I'm seeing these reviews for this upcoming Lion King because you mentioned this beautiful cinematography in Toy Story. The reviews essentially have been it's a shot for shot remake of the first one, but it's one of the most incredible visual experiences I've ever seen. Yeah. Which is like, whoa. Okay. I mean, I like some shot for shot films. Sign me up, bro. Yeah. If you if you like shot for shot films, if you like funny games, go see The Lion King. Yeah. If you like the... Uh, <laughs> The Psycho remake. <laughs> Go, Go see, see the, the Lion King. Yeah, that should be on the posters. If you like Psycho, <laughs> wait till you see the Lion King. <laughs> if you like Gus Van Sant's Psycho. So, um, what else is new? How's The Bachelor these days? The Bachelor is dramatic as hell, man. It's really getting to me. Hannah B is such an idiot. <laughs> it's frustrating. Her name is Hannah B? Hannah B. That's Hannah her- B. Wait a minute. Is that her first name or is that her last initial? It's her last initial. The B as in Brown. Hannah Brown. And she goes by Hannah B. Yes. Okay. She's a total dumbass. She keeps fucking shit up with these... these there's this one guy who's a total cunt. And uh, I can't stand this guy. Abby can't stand this guy. We're actually getting kind of pissed off at the show. It's not like a brilliant work of television like the last season. Oh. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, ac- it's actually getting kind of infuriating and she needs to cut the shit. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> okay. Well, this is sort of the... I guess maybe the after hours of the Bachelor catalog. You know, yeah. you have this, br- you have Taxi Driver, Raging Bull <laughs> last season, and now you're just taking a season off and trying something fun, maybe. Well, wait, wait so what would that is, be? Is that how you're describing the season of The Bachelor? It's like, uh, it's The Bachelorette, by the way, right? Yes, get it right. Now. Do you have a preference I, between The Bachelor and The Bachelorette? They are the same show. Okay. They're identical. You know, just the genders are swip- or flipped, rather. Yeah, but what do you prefer, though? 30 guys fawning over one Scarlet or 30 cat fights fawning over a, a man? I mean, I, I, I can only say from experience, I've enjoyed the, the cat fights. Right. Okay. Honestly. <laughs> I'm not kidding, though. We were, t- we were actually talking about the, the, the last season with the, the Bachelor and talking about how it is the whole show is just a deconstruction of The Bachelor. Right. And I thought it was interesting. I was like, this is actually getting like 
like really really interesting to me it's meta as hell it is it's yeah (laughs) i love this no like last season was really kind of (laughs) cool because it starts out exactly as you would expect and then it just becomes like like total like like just the show literally goes off the rails where the 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 bachelor himself quits the show yeah the fence (laughs) jump is one of the most iconic images i think i'll ever see on television Mm -hmm. and again i didn't watch that episode but i just saw that one clip and that's enough it is great yeah but but you think it's just him being dramatic and, and it just turns out it's like no literally he quits the show yeah. He says, I'm not doing this anymore. And the show starts becoming something else. Right. And it's great. <laughs> it's like, wow, this is kind of interesting. Awesome. So, yeah. You want to talk about that concert you went to or what? I guess I could. Uh, well, I went. Oh, I already talked about James Taylor. But um, I went to a, th- a Third Eye Blind concert. Stop. You got in a time machine. I got t- Yeah. Traveled back to 2003. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then you went to a Third Eye Blind yeah. concert. Same time machine as you did with uh, Bob Dylan. Same exact one. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It was mm-hmm. not a DeLorean. It was actually a Honda Prius. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. That's too bad. Right. You have to charge it up and then it would maybe get to 88 miles an hour. The remake of Back to the Future with the Honda Prius. Or Toyota Prius, whatever. Oh, yeah, Toyota Prius. Apologies. Yeah. I'm not good with cars. Would that detail single-handedly kill the remake? I think it might. They're not remaking Back to the Future. <laughs> Stop it. This is not a thing that's happening. <laughs> Did you see the trailer for Mulan? Yeah. You uh, into it? Yeah. I think so. Uh, okay. <laughs> I was like, well, they're not doing the musical shit. So this is interesting. You're, I like. You're sure they're not doing the musical shit? I, that... Tone doesn't tell me that they are. I can't tell. I I would doubt it though. I would say they're going for, not necessarily like uh like a gritty interpretation or anything, but I would say that they're scrapping that. Yeah, it feels that way anyway. I'm just not into the whole live action reboot no. thing with Disney. I, I, each Is one just feels more unnecessary. I'm not sure where the the floodgates mm-hmm. broke for me, but. Maybe it was the Aladdin thing. Actually, it definitely was the Aladdin thing. Did you see Aladdin? No. I saw Aladdin. You did? Yeah. Have we talked about this? No. You saw Aladdin? Yeah, I saw it with Abby a while ago. Did you like it? I didn't mind it. Really? (laughs) I didn't hate it. How's Will? He's Will Smith. He's blue. How much of the movie is he blue? Mm, 60% of That's the movie. way too much Yeah 60% The fact that you even Thought about it is too much 60% of the movie Is blue yeah 60 seconds would have Been too much Yeah It's fun It's not uh, Like that movie was Didn't really try Anything new in my opinion And the Will Smith stuff It's again I, 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 for, I forgot who said it It might have been you But uh, the idea that Whoever they cast As the genie Really should have been A no name Right. Really on it. Because it's like, yeah, Will Smith is charismatic. He's actually maybe the best part of the movie. Really? But it's just Will, but that that's solely because Will Smith is just charming as hell. Yeah. That's it. Well, you're right. And also, it's going to be inevitably compared to Robin. And you're just never going to be able to match that. Because exactly. that's one of the great animated performances of all time. If not the. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. so anyway, this concert was good, though. I thought it was fantastic. Third Eyed Blind and Jimmy, Jimmy World. World, which they, I only know one song of theirs. Okay. You it did. just takes some time. Yeah, that's all I know. Yeah. Did you they def- just do that ten times? <laughs> it was the last. They closed with that one. Of course they okay. did. You know a lot more Third Eye Blind though. I don't imagine. Yeah, Jumper mm-hmm. and uh, slow motion. No, I don't know slow oh, okay. motion. <laughs> well, whatever. Jumper and what? A, anything else? What's a? Um, <laughs> I'm trying to think. No, you definitely don't know anything. 2003 was a long time ago, bro. Yeah, I know. I was only eight. It's not like your kind of music necessarily. Well, it's fine it's like all the kids that were obsessed with lincoln park 
That would be me. Yeah, that was well. The first two albums, anyway. I have to. I always have to specify first two Lincoln Park albums, and then fuck Lincoln Park. Oh yeah, semi charm life. Yeah, how's it gonna be? Mm-hmm. How's it gonna be? <laughs> that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, whatever. Well, I'm glad that you got to return to your angsty teenage days. It's not even like that angsty. That's that's the kind of stuff that like my dad would call like like pussy rock. Oh, great term, pussy rock. Good job, Dad. He says that a lot. That is perfect. It's like even like it's it, the the annoying part is like I understand exactly what he means, even if I don't fully agree with it. No, he's a hundred percent right. But it's like okay, I, like I get which I love that music, but I it, I think it, it makes sense relative to things like Led Zeppelin when you understand where he's coming from. It's like okay, I I, I get. Yeah, what. it's Pussy Rock. It's that. It's Coldplay. <laughs> My Chemical Romance. It's Pussy Rock. Yeah. All right, let's talk about movies, shall we? Yeah, we'll talk about movies. Okay. I'm sick of this shit. 1976! You sprung this on me, motherfucker. What the hell is wrong with you? We have some difficult decisions to make this week. Yeah, I mean, I've already decided, but... It, oh, really? Yeah, well, we'll have a we'll have a discussion. Yeah. You've made up your mind. Of course I did. You're coming in with bias. I think I might have made up my mind, too. That's my issue, yeah. I wonder what will happen. Yeah. Okay, 1976. Here are your six nominees for induction into the Movie Hall of Fame. They are Marathon Man, Carrie, All the President's Men, Network, Taxi Driver, and Rocky. Fuck yeah, bro. This is a fucking awesome year, man. Fuck yeah. Fucking awesome year. Holy shit. Just for me personally, I didn't see any other slate of nominees except for this. We didn't even draft... I just sent you these six, and it made sense to you, and mm-hmm. I, I just never considered anything else. And I'm looking at the list. I'm like, at least four out of the six are some of my favorites. Yeah. All time. One of them is like my number three. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> right. I am 100% with you. Like, mm-hmm. these are movies that I've revisited many times. They're a diverse set. I mean, we have a horror movie. We have a spy thriller. Mm-hmm. We have a adult drama, mm-hmm. sports movie, Scorsese, <laughs> uh, satirical comedy. I mean, it's just runs the whole gamut. Yep. The 70s are just that time. Oh, and especially after, because uh, uh, I didn't see Marathon Man before this, but after watching it, I was just like, these movies just don't age. They really, you're 100% I don't, right. I don't know what, like, they just don't at all. And it's, maybe it's, maybe it's the, the, the people, I mean, I guess it is a lot of the people behind them. Just that attitude at the time just made awesome fucking movies. Mm. Best movie year of all time? <sighs> this, maybe? This year? Yeah. One of them. In terms of those at the top... <laughs> I mean, these are pretty fantastic all across the board. Like, 99, we talked about 12 movies from that year, think, but it wasn't as top-heavy as this year is. No. no. I don't even know if that year was necessarily as important. Oh, for sure not. So that's the thing. It's hard. I don't know. It's hard Does to say. maybe one movie from 99 get on this list if it was released in 76? Yeah. Maybe just one, right? Maybe two. Maybe two. Yeah. Other than that, yeah, I don't see much wiggle room. This is a stacked, stacked list of nominees Mm -hmm. i do have some honorable mentions for you though um the outlaw josie wales which i love okay i've never seen it and that's the only reason why i didn't bring it up but i've been told it's such a great western it's it's really good okay i gotta do that it's really fucking good yeah it's been on my list for a while i just never did it and you know honestly i think it probably should be on (laughs) Yeah, well, if you had fought for it, I would have budged, and I would have watched it last night. I, I just think it was—I was more interested in seeing. I, I you know, I, it, it was an opportunity for me to watch a movie I hadn't seen before. Yeah, and it's like, okay, cool, I'll watch Marathon Man. Okay, 
Yeah, I would have done it. Uh, apologies. The Omen. Damien. Love The Omen. Of course. Classic horror movie. A little dated, but it's all right. Star is Born, the third remake of it. <laughs> Chris Christopherson, Barbara Streisand. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that version. It's like the most famous one. Yeah, but I hear it's like not so great. Yeah, it's the one that like like my parents still love more than anything. And I'm just like, eh, no, guys. The new one's, even the new one's better. Yeah. So. Pink Panther Strikes Again. Yeah, I saw that one. You know, one of these days I'll squeeze a Pink Panther movie onto this list. Because this is one of my favorite ones. This- Do you want to have a Pink Panther podcast? I will. I haven't. I've seen one Pink Panther movie, so I will watch these movies for you and and you know show you. I'll be the better man than you than you were with my Godzilla podcast. How about that? Are you gonna cry? <laughs> I'm a little emotional. I gotta be honest with you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I love that idea. Ah! The Pink Panther podcast. Yes. Okay, we'll do it one day. Logan's Run? Okay. Yeah, I, I thought about that one too, but... King Kong? Mm. Don't love that version. Nah, neither do I. I think I like the the uh, the 2000s version. You're allowed because it's a lot better. Yeah. It's kind of weird. I don't hate that version. It's just kind of... Man Who Fell to Earth? Nicholas Rogue? Never Saw? Never Saw it either. Here It's Great? Assault on Precinct 13? That's a movie right there. Now that's Carpenter, right? John Carpenter. I haven't seen that either. One of his best film scores ever. And uh, yeah, that's that's a tiny, tiny little film. It's slightly dated, but uh, that movie is just nuts. It's great. And the only other nominee I considered, The Bad News Bears. One of my favorite sports movies of all times. Mine too. Adore it. Yes. Highest grossing movie of the year was uh, Rocky written down somewhere here. And I think I lost it. Yeah, it's Rocky. <laughs> um, oh, I didn't add it to the thing to the thing. Here it is. Yes. Highest grossing movie Rocky followed by to fly. What? Never heard of what? a star is born. All the president's men and the omen rounds out the really? top five. Really good year for the Oscars because it's a really good year for Oscar movies. Mm-hmm. Your nominees for Best Picture, very similar to the list we have here. Taxi Driver, Network, Bound for Glory, All the President's Men, and your winner, Rocky. That's correct. John G. Alvinson also takes home Best Director for Rocky. Interesting enough, I was thinking about this. We've been doing for like four months this podcast, right? We've been doing this a while. What? The... Movie Hall of Fame. Yeah. We've done like 14, 15 years, maybe. Yeah. Our choice has never overlapped with the Academy. Oh, for like the best picture? Yeah. And I wonder if that'll change this year. Hmm. Interesting question. This is going to be a hard one, I it, think. I think I, I think we both know where this is going. I, That's okay. I think I do, too. Um, the best actor goes to Peter Finch from Network. The first posthumous Oscar ever awarded to an actor. Mm -hmm. He died in between filming and the ceremony. Faye Dunaway wins Best Actress for Network. Mm -hmm. Jason Robards wins Best Supporting Actor for All the President's Men. And Beatrice Strait wins Best Supporting Actress for Network. Yep. Network wins Screenplay. Original, that is. And All the President's Men wins Adapted Screenplay. Great Patty Chayefsky. Yes, the great Patty Chayefsky. Really good supporting actor class, by the way. Oh, yeah. I just want to point this out. Robards, Ned Beatty from Network, <laughs> Burgess Meredith, Laurence Olivier, Burt Young. Mm-hmm. 
great, great list. Any list that includes Lawrence Olivier? Yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ. And Burt Young. I mean, Uh just the two great American actors of all time. Burt Young. (laughs) (laughs) He's great in the Rocky movies. Come on, man. Yeah, he is. Burt Young, really? Yeah. I didn't know. Him and Burgess. I guess that makes sense now that I think of it. Okay. Yeah, fair. All right. Uh, National Film Registry, six movies have been inducted from 1976. They are All the President's Men, Network, Rocky, and Taxi Driver, as we nominated. But they also included Outlaw Josie Wales, Mm -hmm. and Please Don't Bury Me Alive. Is that about burying someone alive? I would assume so. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Shall we get to it? Yeah, this is going to be, this is kind of fun. Okay. Let's right. do it. Let's let's start with Marathon Man, a movie that you just watched. Just watched. Starring Dustin Hoffman, Lawrence Olivier, Roy Scheider, and William Devane, directed by John Schlesinger, also the director of Midnight Cowboy, written by William Goldman, based on his very novel. Nominated for only one Oscar, that is Best Supporting Actor for Sir Lawrence. A graduate history student is unwittingly caught in the middle of an international conspiracy involving stolen diamonds, an exiled Nazi war criminal, and a rogue government agent. Exactly. Adam, is it safe? (laughs) Yes, it's safe. It's about as safe as it can ever be. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Marathon man. Whoa. Okay. Wow. All right. All right. Uh... I, I like the, the second half a lot more than the first half. Okay. It takes a long time to get going, this movie. For okay. Me. But that second half is pretty fucking great. It's certainly worth the wait. I, uh, I, it's, it's, I think it's a movie where at first it's like I wasn't exactly sure what it was doing or where it was going, but once I started to catch on, it started to become a little more worthwhile to me. And I was, I think a lot of the, through a lot of the film, I was trying to figure out whether or not this was just a simple thriller or a psychological thriller or any of that. Mm. It sort of blends those genres uh, pretty effectively. But it's, I mean, I I and I kind of ended up thinking like, okay, this is like, this would be like a Liam Neeson movie today. You know, I had the same thought. Really? That's so, I not specifically in regards to Liam Neeson, but I did think, I saw this movie maybe three or four years ago, and I remember being stunned that Dustin Hoffman and, and Lawrence Olivier were yes, in it. Yes, exactly. And exactly. I guess it's something that's a little more common now, mm-hmm. especially with people like Tom Cruise and Brad Pitt and Leo, who are not adverse to action movies. But back then, it was like unheard of for these huge movie stars and respected actors to sort of slum it in the genre movies. Well, these are like like two of the greatest actors like that ever lived. Two top lived. ten actors of all time. I mean, one of them at the time was was like widely considered possibly the best actor who's yeah. who's ever lived. Yes, and the other one was the biggest star. Yes, or exactly. at least one of the two or three biggest stars in Hollywood at the time, and a well known method actor. Very different from Lawrence Olivier. Sure. Yeah. Which we could probably talk about. This is a very famous story. Yeah. Uh, I'll, yeah, I'll tell it right now. Sure. So this story circulated for a long time that Dustin Hoffman stayed up all night to play a character who had stayed up all night. So he was getting very method. And arriving on the set, Sir Lawrence Olivier asked Hoffman why he looked the way he did. Hoffman told him why, being that he was getting into character, to which Olivier replied in jest... Why not just try acting? It's much easier. 
<laughs> and I always loved that story because it's such an interesting deconstruction of acting and method acting. Um, and one of the things I love about this movie in a weird way is how it um, it proves that you don't have to go method in a movie like this. Here's what I want to say go ahead. about that point is that I had, I had heard this story and I, I thought about that sentiment for a long time and I, I was like, that is so interesting and, and in a way so so very true and honestly a lot more admirable if an actor can pull that off. Yeah. So like, like for example, like, like Mel Gibson is not a method actor at all. However, it's like when I watch him in scenes where he's like, like in pain or he gets hurt in, in some form or another, like the torture scene and like lethal weapon, it is so believable that I would, I would assume he's actually being electrocuted, Yeah, but he's not, he's just, he's just acting. Yeah. And the fact that there's the fact that it's, I have that kind of response to it as opposed to someone who just puts themselves in character and would actually like electrocute themselves. I find the former significantly more admirable because it's just that much more impressive to go there through for from from pretty much nothing. Well, I'll say this: I think Olivier has the better performance in this movie, so I, that's important, right? Yes, and I was just about to get there. I thought he was acting circles around yeah, Dustin Hoffman. Right. I was like, I was like, like wide eyed, like just watching him. I was like, he is un. Touchable. He's captivating. Yes. And it's so interesting. I'll, I'll tell you one more story about this movie. Olivier, at the time, signed up for the movie and took a big chunk of the, uh, of the money because he wanted to leave enough for his wife and children. The guy was suffering from a serious form of cancer. Yep. And when it was undergoing treatment as the filming was happening, he was popping pain pills every day. He was having a hard time memorizing lines. It was a really dire situation, but he was still soldiering on and finishing the performance. He ends up emerging totally okay, lives another 13 years after this movie, and has many other iconic performances to follow. Yep. So it is so fascinating that the one guy, this young, spry Hollywood movie star that has built a reputation on going to places actors are not willing to go is outdone by a sickly old man that grew up doing Shakespearean theater. Yeah. You know, it's just so fascinating, the I, difference. Well, I think watching that and having that knowledge like made it all the more like like fascinating like right. I said because I because I, I was acutely aware of this and I'm just like like he is remarkable yeah I was like he is so good and it's so funny to see uh, Dustin Hoffman like really trying to get there but not even touching the guy mm. and that was so incredible to me and I, I, I just I remember and, uh, again it's important to note we're talking about Dustin Hoffman yes we're not talking about Mark Wahlberg yeah. We're talking about a guy yeah. that is one of the most respected actors <laughs> of all time can't get to Laurence Olivier's level despite so much effort. There is more uh, character and nuance in Laurence Olivier just trying to swallow that diamond yeah. than any scene by Dustin <laughs> You're Hoffman. You're so right. You're I, so right. I was just like like glued. I I I, I could have had two hours of just just Lawrence Olivier. It was yeah. remarkable because I felt like Dustin Hoffman. I mean, he's good in the he's very good in the movie, but I always felt like he was giving more than what was necessary or yes. what he was even asked for. Right. And I'm just like like dude, wind this back seriously. Right. right. Yeah. This is an action caper. Really, mm. is what it is. It's a genre movie. Yes. This is. Not quite John Wick, but it's like one step below that. Yes, exactly. And he just didn't know how to chill the fuck out. Yeah. 
back in 1976. But that's what Hoffman was going through in the 70s. Like he, you know, he does Midnight Cowboy in the yeah. in the 60s, and it's like you can't go from Ratso Rizzo <laughs> to the guy that holds the gun, man. It's just. No. The 70s were a wild time for Hoffman. Yeah, you could do anything. Or at least he thought he could do anything. Right. So he did go very method with this. As I just said, he depraved himself of of much sleep. He, uh, like, in that scene where he was being drowned in the bathtub, mm. he, like, insisted that the actor hold his head as long as he could tolerate to get into, <laughs> into character. I think the direct quote was, don't squeeze my Adam's apple, but get as close to it as you possibly can. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> it's like, but it's like, it's like, here's the thing. And like, by the way, he ran four miles a day. I should say that too. Yeah, I believe that. Ran four miles a day. And every time you see him gasping for air after a long run, it's because he actually ran that much mm-hmm. before filming the scene. So it is so extra. Yeah. And it's kind of an interesting deconstruction of acting. Mm-hmm. And I, I 100% agree with you. I think I do respect someone like Laurence Olivier more because he's actually engaging in the craft. Yes, exactly. Right? Dustin Hoffman is playing tricks on his body. Mm-hmm. And it's not to say that I don't respect Hoffman and De Niro and Pacino and Daniel Day-Lewis, but there is something to be said about the performance that Olivier gives here. Yeah, just is totally created, like completely. It doesn't come from something that, like, like all the stuff around you. Right. Like, and I, I have had an issue with that where it's like, it feels like they're almost using it as a crux. Like, like it's, it, honestly, and this sounds weird to say, but it almost feels like the easier approach, yeah. method acting. Yeah. Kinda. When you think about it. Well, it's, yeah, perhaps. In a way. Well, it's more physical effort, less creative effort. Yes. Maybe that's how you want to put it. But my, my, and my, my argument is just like you, the audience doesn't care. Right. The audience does not care. They don't give a shit. And I'm sorry, but when you put, when you put people up against something like Olivier, who can just do that right. <laughs> and, and have better results, it's like, I, I guess, I guess it's, he's right. Sir Ian McKellen had a, like a, the, the same argument and it was the funniest thing. I don't know what show it was on, but he was talking with like uh, Ricky Gervais and he just stopped and he's like, how do I act so well? <laughs> <laughs> That's such an Ian McKellen thing to say. <laughs> and Ricky's just like, like, he's just like, how? And he just stops and he's like, I pretend to be the person I am portraying in the play or film. Yeah, that's about <laughs> it. I think that is what goes into acting. How did I know what to say? The words were written down for me in a script. <laughs> How did I know where to stand? People told me. <laughs> it ain't that hard. Really, it ain't that hard. And that is Olivier's point when he yep. tells this story. Now, again, I'm not entirely sure the accuracy of that story. It's been disputed over the years. Mm-hmm. Hoffman has pushed back on it a little bit. But the sentiment is there. Actors are so fucking pretentious. Yes. And they think their craft is the most important. Dude, every fucking time the Os- there's, there's a, a, a young woman that wins the Oscar for like a performance where she had to get mud on her face. Mm-hmm. It's, like, it's like, okay, wow, so brave. Because you believed in me, I dared to try. Fuck off, dude. Mm. <laughs> You're not a fireman. You were- You're an actor. Yes. You have a trailer. <laughs> they keep Fiji water in there for you. 
It ain't that hard. Just act. Good for you, Eddie Redmayne, for sitting in a chair the whole time. That is... I hate that. Hate it. Don't even get me started. I'm with you. I am in the Lawrence Olivier camp. Yes. Not the Hoffman camp in this particular instance. I do like how we've just used this one movie to talk specifically about acting, though. No, but it is an exercise in acting because, as I said, this is a movie that shouldn't have starred these actors Mm -hmm. at this point in time. And we've come a long way since then. I, I do I, I do find this an interesting relic. And I think it's an interesting way to look at acting because it, it's so unnecessary. Yeah. Everything that's happening is so unnecessary. But it's also what elevates the movie. Mm-hmm. Because it's not a particularly stylish movie in terms of direction. Not really. I think it's wonderfully shot. And that's par- partially because it's Conrad Hall doing the cinematography. He's probably the best cinematographer that ever lived. Okay. Uh, but aside from that, I mean, yeah, it's it's not, it, yeah, I, it's not a great work of direction. It's not no. a great script. The story, I mean, you could really pick apart the story, and I I almost kind of was, but I was like, the, I I try to like set that aside because the pedigree and the craftsmanship on hand is quite right. good. Yeah, yeah, the story I don't even remember to be honest with you. I remember that scene in the water plant with with the diamonds, and I remember Roy Scheider's character being. Dustin Hoffman's brother and he's killed off and well the problem is that the story is so convoluted yeah and whenever stories get this convoluted for something that should be so simple you just forget about it yeah it's just the experience while you're seeing it regardless is still pretty you know pretty exciting I just thought for for what it is for just like this weird psychological action thriller thing it's just you know it's it's pretty effective it should not be as good as it actually is yep I'm 100% with you it is a marginal movie if it doesn't star these two people and is not shot in the way that you described so good on the movie i guess for elevating its material number 34 villain of all time on the afi list is Lawrence olivier the quote is it safe was number 70 on their all-time movie quotes list and number 50 on their all-time thriller list it's a classic, yeah. That marathon man, and I'm so happy that you liked it. And yeah, I liked you took it a away lot. some of the w- things that I took away from it. I liked it a lot. That's awesome. Okay, Carrie, Carrie. Oh my god, I'm so happy we're finally talking about Carrie. I don't think we've ever had a proper Carrie conversation on this show, have we? <laughs> this is good. Directed by Brian De Palma, based on the novel by Stephen King, the first ever Stephen King film adaptation, and I believe also his first published novel. It was not was the it? first one ever written. But it was the first one that ever made it to a mainstream audience. I didn't know that. Yeah. Starring Sissy Spacek, Piper Laurie, Amy Irving, William Catt, and even John Travolta pops his Mm -hmm. beautiful head in there. Yep. Nominated for two Oscars. And they are, of course, Best Actress and Best Supporting Actress for Sissy Spacek and Piper Laurie, respectively. Carrie White, a shy, friendless teenage girl who is sheltered by her domineering religious mother, unleashes her telekinetic powers after being humiliated by her classmates at her senior prom. Yep. Classic. Best Stephen King movie. Mm, No. Shawshank? Shawshank's the best. Is this two? This is two or three. Behind? (sighs) Two. I mean, the Green Mile is really good. Green Mile's really fucking good. Stand By Me? Stand By Me might be better. It's in the top five. Yeah. I, I had a, a ranking of these movies, and this one was... I want. I, oh, Shining! Oh, The Shining. I think this one might have been five. Yeah. 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 I will say, it's my favorite Brian De Palma film. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Yeah. But I'm not a huge De Palma fan, and I don't think you are either. No, I like De Palma. Not as big as Quentin Tarantino, but... 
Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's he's got some really great movies. You have to you have to do some digging, but he he has a he has a few that I I mean I I understand his his love for Hitchcock, but every once in a while it just feels like he's ripping them off. Yeah, even at times, Carrie feels that way. Yeah, I know. The movement of the camera, the editing style. The music. The music cues are so pronounced. Yes. And yeah, you're right. That is sort of distracting. But I think it works perfectly here mm-hmm. uh, because this is a movie that I absolutely adore. Yep. This I is really love Carrie. It's one of my favorite coming of age movies. <laughs> Well, that's an interesting thing to say. <laughs> Number 46 on AFI's all-time thriller list. Um, I want to talk about the themes surrounding oh, yeah. Carrie. Mm-hmm. Because as you said, I really like the performances and I really like the style. Mm-hmm. As do I. Um, this has always been sort of a messy movie for me on a thematic level. Mm-hmm. Because it's about a school massacre. Yes, and it's told from the perspective of the aggressor. Yes, even though originally it's not. Originally it's told through the, through the perspective of Sue Snell, who, who's played by Amy Irving. Yes, so. she's the only one that lives yes. at the end of the movie. Yeah. Um, would a movie like this fly today? I know they made the remake <laughs> in 2013, but if this was new material, post-Columbine, post-Parkland, uh, would this still work? I mean, you get movies like this every once in a while that are about like a school shooting or something. Hmm. But to to this with this level of style, yeah, that I don't know. With that level of of like like mainstream appeal, that's the real question. Because right. I, I don't know if a movie like this gets made today. I mean, I I don't know. It's hard to say. I'm just wondering, like, would you still tell it from Carrie's perspective, and would you still portray her as the hero? Because that's what she is in this movie. Ultimately, yeah. And I believe that's also what she is in the book. Uh, although the perspective may be different, we are still meant to sympathize with Carrie. Yeah. And again, like I don't necessarily think this is a knock on the movie. <sighs> the complicated themes only enhance it for me. Yeah, because I don't know if I necessarily go into the realm of her being completely the hero. Mm. I never quite read it that way because it, the, the scene where she does finally, you know, explode, almost literally, uh, is... is meant to be terrifying sure and it is terrifying yeah and uh it, it, her perspective changes in ways where characters you thought were supposed to be good in, in her eyes are actually bad when really that's not what's going on right so it, in a way it just it it just makes her feel like more of a victim yeah yeah and also you do want her to get revenge yes i mean you are actively rooting for her to, i mean not necessarily to kill her teacher no but you are rooting for her to do some serious damage on these people yeah because what she was just subjected to is horrendous mm-hmm. like cartoonishly vile yes. what these kids did um i just i have a hard time trying to figure out whose side i fall on i guess <laughs> and i think that's okay i think that's like a beauty of the beauty of a movie yes. like this you know i think messy themes are awesome because it leads to more interesting conversation but you think about piper Laurie's <laughs> character who is again like a cartoonishly evil woman who at times is like in a different movie. It feels like she's sort of acting in a black comedy. She's such a Stephen King character, though. Like yeah. maybe the most of all of them there. There's there's like one of those in every single uh, one of his books and movies. Right. You have Piper Laurie, and she is right. She is right about what happens to her daughter. Yeah. She warns her, they're all going to laugh at you. Mm-hmm. Don't go to the prom. Bad things will happen to you there. But she's also portrayed as this evil 
controlling, murderous sociopath. <laughs> locks her daughter in a closet and right? tells her to pray. Right. And then you have Carrie, who, uh, after um, going through her first period, has superpowers. Yes. She gains the ability of telekinesis. And that is supposed to be, I think, a heroic representation of the female body and of feminism, right? Yeah. Like, she in many ways represents female empowerment yeah. and taking revenge on those that uh, that ridiculed her yeah. for her femininity. But she's also murdering a lot of innocent people in a gymnasium. Yeah. So, it's really messy. Yes. And I'm cool with it being messy. Uh-huh. I'm just not sure a movie like this will be made today. And I'm still not exactly sure how I'm supposed to feel about oh. it. That's okay, though. Like of said, course. I, th- I like that, though. I mean, movies like this uh, come out, I mean, every once in a while in the indie scene, and maybe that's where it would exist. Yeah. That's why I say, like, this is, this is, it, it, it almost does work for me as a coming-of-age film in the sense that saying, w- when you do come into your, in this case, your womanhood, it's mm. not always pretty. Right. And it's confusing, and everyone's telling you different things, and you don't know quite how to respond, and as a result, you do very, very bad things. Mm. That's 100% true. Yeah. Completely true. And I mean, not just for, for women, but also for men, too. We've, we've all, we've all kind of been there where we've just been, we get to a point in our lives where things are, you know, I sound like a, like a, like a fourth grade teacher or something, <laughs> but things are changing. But <laughs> things are, but things are changing, whether it's like, like new friends or going through puberty, whatever. And, uh, like, like nothing feels right anymore. And as a result, you kind of lash out in strange ways or in ways that make you lose your friends or you're at, you're at a bit of a rift with your parents, or whatever, or do, are just trying to help you, but again, maybe aren't necessarily uh, capable of handling said changes because they never dealt with this. You know, on a, they've never, you know, they've never had kids before. They never dealt with this themselves. Mm. So it's it's interesting that, uh, how much real world stuff it covers, even though it's literally about a girl who can move objects. You know, I like movies that can do. Yeah, that. I guess the only thing, as I said, is we don't know whether or not that's a good or a bad thing, and the movie doesn't really take a side. I don't mind that though. I like how it's it 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 is always kind of gray and murky, and that there really isn't a, a firm answer. Yeah, honestly, because I can say I can certainly say that about my high school experience. Sure. Yeah, I feel like anybody probably could. Yeah, I'm with you entirely. Yeah. I do think if it was made today. By the way, did you see the remake? No. All right, I didn't either. No, no, no. no. I was just offended by the existence of that. Movie. <laughs> you know, like first of all, why is Chloe Grace Moretz the lead? The good question. Like a like a very pretty young charismatic woman should not be playing Carrie White. I th- well the thing is like Car- like Sissy Spacek is adorable in my opinion. Okay. Well, I mean she's yeah, I wouldn't call her beautiful though. No. But that's the thing. I think her the casting of which is so weird because uh, originally Brian De Palma had someone else completely different in mind mm. to play Carrie and <laughs> the studio didn't think that uh she was right for the role just mm. physically. And then um I love the documentary of De Palma when he's talking about this film. Yeah. Really, really great segment when he's when he says like, "Yeah," uh, and then Sissy came in and she made everyone else look silly. Right. <laughs> but it's like you think about it. And it's like is really that the only reason she wasn't physically right? Because I think she's perfectly cast for exactly that reason. Because I think she is physically right for those reasons. Yeah, I think she's perfect looking. Yes, in that she's not what you would traditionally consider as beautiful, mm-hmm. but. You want to give her a hug. Yes, exactly. That's right? kind of what I'm talking That's about. That's really what it is. Yeah. But it's it's like sold to me immediately. You know, it's uh uh it's it's just the, the she's got such a, such an awkward performance and I think uh you kind of get who the character is uh at the at the start of the volleyball match at the beginning mm-hmm. just by the way she kind of like awkwardly hops back and forth getting ready for the ball. Yeah. It's like, "Oh, I know who you are." Yeah. I know these people. 
hundred percent right. And I also know vaguely parents like that. <laughs> I wouldn't say that I know a parent that crazy, but you do understand the overbearing, controlling, oftentimes religious mothers and fathers out there. I know one who is actually closer to this parent than you think. I do too. Yeah. I do too. I have one in mind. Mm-hmm. Me too. <laughs> And that's a problem. <laughs> well, yeah. And I also consider that lifestyle of her children to be kind of a horror movie. Mm-hmm. I could only imagine. I don't know what it's actually like, but I do imagine it being not so fun. Do I know this person? No. Okay. I'll tell you all about her later. Though. Okay. Don't you worry. <laughs> <laughs> Couple things. Stephen King was paid just $2,500 for the movie rights. Yeesh. Which may seem like a pittance, but he has no regrets. Quote, I was fortunate enough... To have that happen to my first book in the first place. True. Humble. So there you go. $2,500, though, for one of the great horror movies of all time. Yes. (laughs) Sissy Spacek insisted on being buried for that final scene. So that's actually her underneath those rocks with the arm poking out. Yeah, not a prosthetic. Oh, my God. Sissy Spacek. You think Dustin Hoffman goes method? Yes, yeah, you ain't med spacey. Or, or, <laughs> uh, oh, oh wow. no, Freudian slip. You you ain't met sissy yet. <laughs> you certainly haven't met spacey. I hope. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Yeah. I just love that prom sequence, man. I don't oh, know what too. else there is to say. I watched it the other day with uh, my brother. He was like, I feel like watching Carrie. I'm like, fuck yeah. I'm in the mood for watching Carrie too. And it was just great. It's such a simple story too. It's not long either. Yeah. It's really, really quick. And it's just so emotionally resonant. And it all builds to that one scene. And the way De Palma just shoots that thing where he's tracking it goes the forever. string yeah. that goes up to the pig's blood. I love stuff like that. It's great. There's just this sense of dread over something that isn't... So, I mean, it's terrible. It's a terrible thing to happen to a young lady, but it's not like a loaded gun or a ticking bomb. It's just a bucket of blood. No, but like a, like a ticking bomb, though, like the way he shoots it, you just know that there's this impending sense of inevitability. Yes. And that's why it's so goddamn scary. Exactly right. Yeah. There is doom. You don't know what Carrie's going to do, yeah. but you know it's probably not that good. No. And that's why it works so wonderfully. I agree. Um, good. We're two for two. Good. I'm with you on that. <laughs> Also, Piper Laurie. Oh, my God. She's so fucking scary. Wonderful. I love when she's smiling. She's got the head cocked. The They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. They're all going to laugh at you. I'm sorry, dude. Every time I watch that movie, I die laughing at every Piper Laurie scene, but yeah. it works. You know, it's great. That's one of those like dramatic, unintentional comedy performances that fits perfectly in the oh, movie. Oh, it's so uncomfortable to me. I love it, though. She's yeah. No, there's not really many like weak links in this movie. Maybe John Travolta. He's not great. He's not great. Thought told you never to call me there. Just smacks her. Like around. I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> I right, tone it down. I love like like she like there's a uh, nitpicking here. Okay. Uh, like like she's she's giving him a blowjob, but she's speaking fluent English. It's very weird. Oh. That's an excellent point. No slurping sounds. I'm just saying. <laughs> no slurping. They didn't watch the beach bum. I get it. Yeah, sure. But <laughs> take Carrie White <laughs> to prom, please. <laughs> yeah, that's what it should have sounded like. Yeah. No, it's I hate Carrie <laughs> White. <laughs> that's enough blowjob noises for one day, okay? You know, Nick's right. All the President's Men. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> Directed by Alan J. Pakula, written by 
William Goldman yet again. Mm-hmm. What a year for old Billy Golds. Starring Dustin Hoffman, Robert Redford, Hal Holbrook, and the Academy Award winner Jason Robards as Ben Bradley. Mm-hmm. Winner of Best Actor, Best Screenplay, Best Art Direction, and Best Sound at the Academy Awards. Also nominated for Best Picture, Best Supporting Actress for Jane Alexander, Best Director, and Best Editing. Jesus. Number 57 on AFI's all-time thrills list, 27 on their heroes list, 34 on their cheers list, Mm. and 77 all-time. Yep. The Washington Post reporters Bob Woodward and Carl Bernstein uncover the details of the Watergate scandal that leads to President Richard Nixon's resignation. Yep. Here is my relationship to all the presidents. Um, This is... One of my favorite buddy movies ever, <laughs> which is weird because you don't like Robert Redford. Yeah, I well, I normally don't like Robert Redford. I think Hoffman just does circles around him in this movie, but I think that works mostly because I know Woodward and Bernstein, just their sort of public personas. I've seen them on television over the years. Mm-hmm. I am fairly familiar with the Watergate story and like. Bernstein is an asshole. Like, he has mm. a chip on his shoulder, and he's, like, constantly barking at people. And really? he's very insecure about his reporting, and uh-huh. he always feels like he has something to prove. And Bob Woodward is a very good-looking, successful, all the chips lined up in, in the right way for him, just pretty boy journalist. All right. And... Their personas, Hoffman being the scrappy underdog and Redford being the beautiful man that takes 20 girls to prom and high school quarterback, their personas work for this material. Okay. And I think it's actually brilliant casting in hindsight. All right. Even though I don't like necessarily love Redford's performance, I love his persona. Okay, good. So. I've never had an issue with uh, Redford, especially in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because I agree. I always felt like they're they're, uh, sort of... uh, uh, dichotomy with their performances is, is like perfectly cute. Like you said, with a, it's nice to have a buddy movie where there's nice contrast like that. Right. But uh, this is the best journalism film ever made. Yeah. Oh, please. It's Come just on. like, it's like, what are we talking about? What? There's no conversation. <laughs> <laughs> That's the problem. There's no conversation. It, but it's similar to another William Goldman movie, Butch mm-hmm. Cassidy and the Sundance Kid in that way. Yeah. It tells a Western as a buddy cop movie and this sort of tells the story of journalism although it is very in the weeds and mm-hmm. there are a lot of conversations mm-hmm. about sourcing and leads and 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 the wire like it is certainly it doesn't treat the audience a- as idiots it doesn't talk down to them but it uh conjures up a lot of these familiar feelings about hangout movies mm-hmm. and just two guys that like each other but they bicker a lot and they have these differences, but they're both trying to accomplish the same thing. It's very familiar in a classic Hollywood way. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why it works so well as a journalism movie. It's not just a journalism movie. Sure. You know, Spotlight, for example, is a movie strictly about journalism and doesn't have a lot of those elements. And that's why, to me, it will always be one step lower. Okay, that's fine. No, I agree with that. And Spotlight's, cl- you know, closer. I honestly might... I'm throwing The Insider as number two. Oh, man. Insider's awesome. Holy <laughs> shit. Well, there is another journalism movie on this list, bro. 
No. Okay. <laughs> Not exactly. <laughs> kind of. Eh. Eh. I mean, why? Because it's television journalism? No, it's more complicated than that, I think. All right. Uh, but I, I see, the, All the President's Men works for me, I mean, more so than just... Because, like, Spotlight is just kind of telling its story. I mean, it's very plainly... But it's just, just as it is, it just kind of works. Mm-hmm. And those performances are great. And it's n- nothing spectacular about the direction, though. And the thing I can say about this one is that Alan J. Pakula's direction is just awesome. Yeah. But the thing that makes it more so for me is the fact that the film is scary. I oh, find, yeah. I find this movie incredibly scary, yeah. especially the deep throat scenes. Well, it's exclusively the deep throat scenes, it's, no? The, the, well, there are moments, and it, maybe it's the music, but there's lots of scenes where it's just kind of like looms over the city. And the music, I don't know, I don't know who scored this movie, but it is just, it's just, ugh, it's just freaks me out i don't know what it is i also love the beginning sequence during the titles Mm -hmm. where the typewriters sound like shotguns yeah and sort of you're right it ratchets up the tension you're not just dealing with words on a page you're dealing with weapons yeah and these weapons have serious consequences and if you don't do your job 100 percent right if you're not careful things are going to go very badly for you no i'm serious it just feel like like at any given moment if one thing's wrong then people are just going to start dying and no one really does die but you switch it's 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 shot in a way where it feels like it could turn into that kind of a movie. Yep. So yeah, I Certainly. was. I I, yeah, I don't know. Um, I love Robards in this mm. so very very much. I would almost say I want more Robards if I'm to say anything. Yeah, he's great in this movie. He's so good. Yeah. He earned the Oscar. I'm actually kind of surprised that he earned the Oscar with mm-hmm. such a stacked list. Yeah. Um, but I do think that it was very well deserved. It's just a movie star movie, and it's such a snappy script. Yep. It's so freaking good. <laughs> it is. It's like the characterizations. Uh, I, I always talk about this scene where they have the first draft ready for the story, mm-hmm. and they go up to Robards, and Hoffman is so convinced that they have a story ready to print <laughs> and Robards is sitting there with his red pen, just meticulously scanning the lines and goes, yeah, you're not ready yet. <laughs> and Hoffman pops off on him. Like, what are you talking about? It's not ready yet. But there's this, there's this calmness to the way that Woodward handles the situation yeah. where it's like, yeah, we're making history here, but we're still doing a job. We still yeah. have a job to do. And what we're reporting on is is not more important. It's not more dire than the institution that we vowed to defend. Mm-hmm. Like, we have to approach this as unbiased and professionally as possible. Mm-hmm. And the way that those characters interact with each other in that particular scene, in a moment of, of real intensity mm-hmm. and real history... Um, the way that they play it and what it says about those people is so beautiful to me. And there's just a million of those moments in this movie. And it both, I guess, normalizes journalism, but also glorifies journalism. And I think it's it's the most appropriate way to tell a story like this. Sure. It could be, like, scenes like that almost solidify that it's not necessarily, like, the most, like not trying to come off as like a heroic tale because I mean normally if you were to like fictionalize like if you were to take a fictionalized story like this and you took that scene they would say like like fuck the rules we're just going to get the story out just this way but mm. but they're abiding by the ethics that they've set forth so they but but that is the heroism though yes exactly that's the difference yeah, yeah. the it's, heroism is the calm demeanor yeah. but normally like movies take the dramatic approach you know and this sure. film just says like no 
And this movie could have easily been over dramatized. Exactly. It's but, a, and, and the, but that's the thing I really appreciate about this movie because when I first saw it, I was because I was thinking about like, oh, Hoffman and uh, Redford. Like, I wonder how that's going to go. But it's so clean, or well, not really clean. It's just it's actually very dirty. Oh yeah, yeah. But just, de- but I mean, like raw and, and 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 fixated on the issue, and it does not like like elevate it more than it needs to be, other than to make the film, like I said, kind of like more scary. Sure. That's, a, that's about the only like 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 significant style that I see throughout this film in that way. Yeah, like over stylization. Yeah, but I wouldn't call it over. No, I mean stylization either. Though those deep throat scenes are awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, two lead actors, of course, memorized each other's lines so they could interrupt each other in character. This really? settled a lot of the actors they were playing opposite, leading to a greater sense of authenticity. Wow! So they were very committed to the patter. They thought this is a movie that is driven by script. It is. Um, it, it was a meticulously written script, by the way. Goldman spent many months at the Washington Post offices observing these people, understanding how they work. And each fact, obviously, was sent through multiple lawyers, multiple historians, and multiple sources to make sure they were getting this 100% wow. right. Because you can't get this shit wrong. No. You cannot tell a story about the heroism of of accurate news reporting and then <laughs> do fudge so. some details exactly well, you know and all too often movies are going to do that of course That's the scary part this movie doesn't do that there are very few moments if you look at the historical inaccuracies there ain't much there's that one scene where uh where redford is talking to the guy and he's like yeah i've been having a rough week my neighbor's wife was kidnapped and it's sort of like played as a joke in the movie that actually happened. <laughs> it turns out that man's neighbor's wife was indeed kidnapped and returned a week later after the husband paid a million dollars ransom. Ugh. So this is like real shit. What the fuck? <laughs> There's even a scene. Redford's on the phone for six minutes. It's a single take. He's talking to his source. Yeah. And he ends the scene, mistakenly calls the guy by a different name, mm-hmm. but then corrects himself. And they use that take in the movie because it sounded more authentic. Really? Yeah. So he catches himself, corrects it, and it's like, yeah, maybe he would call the guy by the wrong name. Okay. It doesn't have to be so clean. I like that level of, of leniency, though. Yeah. It's nice when you get that because le- I feel like it gives the actors a lot more freedom. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I, I like, like, um, I don't know, like, trying to, like, pick out a scene that, like, really, really sticks with me. It's it's hard to say. I really love the scene, uh, 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 what's it, um. God damn it, I hate names. I hate it when I can't do this. Who? Uh, uh, Porter? Is that, like, who is... Who's mm. Porter? Which one? Who are you talking about? God damn. They're talking to the woman. The Jane Alexander character? Maybe. And well, they're trying to trick her into saying something. Yeah. I love that. Oh, yeah, in her apartment. Yeah, I, lo- I love... Yeah, 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 yeah. It's just a great little moment where these characters come together. And there's just something about their... their uh, 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 they're back and forth. It just works so well to me. And again, it's, it just lends to the authenticity that this film has. All it's the way so through. real. It's yep. so life. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of the movie is that the, the, the real life is the majesty. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The, it, it's, it's so real and it's so in the weeds, but that's what makes it iconic and legendary. Stranger than fiction. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes real life is greater than myth. Yeah. And that is what this whole story was. Should have always been a film. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. yeah. Sure. Precisely right. God. I love this movie. Fucking love it, man. Yeah. And we may not put it in. We probably won't put it in. And it's so crazy. 
I just watch this movie all the time. It's I did, so fun. And this is another one, too. Like, yeah, when it's on, I will watch it. Yeah. It's just, it's, and it's just fun. You it, gotta watch it every time it's on. It's an exciting movie. I agree. All right. Next. Let's do network. This is a biggie. Biggie for me. Yeah, yeah it is. Yeah. It's one of my, like, all-time favorites right here. Love this movie. Directed by Sidney LeMay. Mm-hmm. Starring Peter Finch, Faye Dunaway, William Hold- Holden, uh, Ned Beatty, Robert Duvall, and Beatrice Strait, five of those six people nominated for Oscars that year. <laughs> the only one that didn't get a nom was, oddly enough, Robert Duvall. Really? Yeah. Okay. So you have Peter Finch, who wins Best Actor. Faye Dunaway wins Best Actress. Beatrice Strait wins Best Supporting Actress. And then you have Holden, also nominated for Best Lead, and Beatty, nominated for Best Supporting. <laughs> and there were a host of other nominations. Beatty was nominated? Yeah. For just for that one scene? Yeah, he's it's basically <laughs> a cameo, right? Yeah, he's like he's not in the movie. He's, yeah, he's barely in it. I mean, well, I guess I understand. Well, <laughs> actually, Beatrice Strait was only in five minutes herself. She plays yeah, the wife. That's true. She plays Holden's wife. So, um, and I think she wins, I believe it's the shortest screen time ever for an Oscar winner. Don't quote really? me on that, but I think so, yeah. I wonder, I wonder what her speech is like. <laughs> I'd love to hear that. Her speech is probably longer than the performance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. One Best Screenplay, written directly for the screen, nominated for Best Picture, uh, Best Director, Best Cinematography, and Best Film Editing. One more note about the Oscars. It's a very Oscar-heavy show today. It was the second film to win three acting Oscars mm. behind Streetcar Made Desire, and the last, as of 2019, to receive five acting nominations. Wow. Number 19 on the all-time movie quote list, I'm mad as hell, and I'm not going to take it anymore. And number 64 on the all-time movie list. A television network cynically exploits a deranged former anchor's ravings and revelations about the news media for its own profit. Mm -hmm. It's a black satire, this movie. Oh, yeah. And you love it very much, and I would like to hear why. For Well, partially for exactly that reason. I think uh, the satire is awesome. Mm -hmm. I think it's on point the entire way through. I still think it's very prevalent today. Uh, I think the performances are incredible across the board. It is quite an ensemble, isn't it? Uh, this is like m- maybe like top five greatest scripts I've ever seen in a movie. I wow. fucking adore Patty Chayefsky's script here. Wow. Again, just witty and fun and, and cynical as hell. I mean, this movie is one of the most cynical films I think I've ever seen. Oh, like when you, for sure. I actually had to write about this movie and, and like in the process of, of like getting down to the bottom of it, I'm like, Jesus, this movie's almost kind of fucked up. Yeah. Like it really is. But again, it's just like it never stops just being snappy and engaging and I can't stop watching. I just remember like sitting there the first time and I'm just like, holy shit. You know, like it, it's just very, very weird and, and, and cathartic when I see a movie where everything is just working. Yeah. You know, and that, that goes without saying uh, Sidney Lumet's direction, even though I don't think he's necessarily the greatest like visionary in quotes. He just knows how to make a solid fucking movie. Well, he's so versatile, too. Yeah. Yeah, he can exactly. he can find the strength in any genre. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I agree. So whatever the material looks like. And he has a very diverse catalog. Too. Oh, yeah. Um, he's made thrillers. He's made love stories. He's made dramas. Um he just brings exactly what he needs to to the material, and he gets out of the way of the, of the material, well, which can, is the important part. I was going to say, you can definitely tell. See, he's not like, like look at me at all. Yeah, at because all. this movie is, as you said, acting-driven and script-driven. Very much so. So it is appropriate to get out of the way. Any more of a, of a visual... 
if Martin Scorsese made this movie, for example, it would have been overkill. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. It's just perfect, uh, perfect uh, talent uh, but, assembled for this. But it's also just this movie. Like I, and I think I feel like I mentioned this already, but this film was so goddamn funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> it's like if you want an idea of like some of my favorite comedies, like there's a reason why Monty Python's in there. Doctor Strange loves in there. And this is absolutely in there. Yeah. It's like, oh, I know how Adam thinks. Right. <laughs> if you just look, look at those three movies, it's like, OK, I know this guy very well. I will admit that my relationship to the movie has evolved over the years. Mm-hmm. The first time I saw it, I thought it was brilliant. Mostly because of the acting and the and the script. Um, since then, I do find it to be a little overbearing, and I find the satire to be a tad on the nose. Whereas other Sidney Lament movies and even other journalism movies, like All the President's Men, mm-hmm. although they are very different in tone and in style, yep, um, it just approaches this material with such anger. Yes. You know, the script is very angry and it's very biting. Yeah. And I'm not sure that it's authentic 100% of the time. Okay. And I've also I've also fallen a little out of love with Peter Finch's performance here. <laughs> Although I think he's really fun and it's an iconic role and the line reading is brilliant. Um, not the most realistic portrayal of I'm, a news anchor. I don't know if that's the point though i know it's i don't not. think it's trying to be realistic at all i and we actually talked about this a lot when we were when uh, uh i was in school about this movie and there was a, like an entire segment of the class just devoted to this movie and how the entire point of this movie was to go a little over the top yeah and paint with certain strokes like big strokes and to over accentuate something to make an sort of an outrageous point that's more true than you actually think yeah and that's the the, the scariest thing about the movie like the ending seems crazy but it, it it i remember thinking it was very shocking at the time yes i could not believe they were actually going there mm-hmm. yeah but in in essence when you actually think about it it's like that that is kind of what the uh, networks are, have a tendency to do and that is all that's really all that important to yeah. them well they over exaggerate right no. and this is taken to the extreme and i can appreciate it as a work of satire um i just um yeah i i just i guess i respond a little a little more strongly to something like All the President's Men, which is more nuanced. And even what it has to say, it's (laughs) not that I don't think Network has legitimate grievances. I just don't think it's uh, it's 100% truthful to the way life actually works. I don't know. I don't know. Like you say, it still holds up. You still see a lot of this stuff in our modern news media. Well, that's that's part of the reason why I loved it so much. I was like, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I see that kind of everywhere. Yeah. So that's why I responded so well to it. I was like, holy shit, a movie that finally addressed this back in 1976. Sure. I didn't know this even exist. Yeah. You know, so it, it made me very, very happy to see a movie like deal with the same frustrations that I've uh, I've seen like time and time again or something that I'm very keen to when it comes to television or network news or all those other things. And uh, I, I don't know for 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 its style, because I, I like to, I like to try to appreciate like all kinds of styles like i can go nuanced but i can also go loud mm-hmm. and expressive and you may be overbearing but as long as it's effective i don't really care yeah that's ultimately like like my takeaway is like does it work and it's like yeah sure absolutely yeah i'm with you i think it's a brilliant movie mm-hmm. um just not in that upper echelon for me of all-time classics yeah. i guess oh love this movie i will say i'm starting to think faye dunaway has the best performance she, i'm starting to think she's the best part of it well here's the thing 
it, you're correct. Thank you. <laughs> but uh, I remember when I saw this movie, I didn't know anything about like like what the what the reaction. To the, I mean, I knew the film was obviously well received, but I didn't know how like the Academy took this movie. Yeah. And I remember sitting down and watching it. And I'm did about, you watch it in college for the first time? Yeah. Okay. And I'm like halfway through, and I'm like, okay. She won the Oscar for this, didn't she? Right. And yeah, I was Must right. have. I always know when an actor wins the Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Peter Finch, it's like, I, I'm not going to say it wasn't deserved, but that did feel like the fact that he died helped it along a bit. Maybe. Um, Faye Dunaway, her relationship with William Holden is the driving force of this movie. Oh, yeah. I really could care less about the over-the-top rants and raves from Peter Finch. I just want to spend more time with these horrible people in boardrooms. And that stuff, to me, has always resonated as the most truthful. Mm-hmm. And um, I also think it is the most smartly biting part of the script. Yep. This idea that William Holden is this straight-laced, old-school newsman that believes very much in his craft and believes in the power of journalism but he's also seduced by this greedy woman that symbolizes everything vile and uh, vain and hollow about television. Mm-hmm. And in in many ways, it's similar to the way that broadcast news <laughs> tells its story. Yeah. With Holly Hunter being seduced by the young, attractive, flashy guy, but also really cares about Albert Brooks and cares about the old tradition of things. Um there's a seduction and a uh, a sensuality to yeah. the story here, and it's very similar to the way that audiences approach journalism in 2019, yeah. and apparently approach journalism in 1976. And that is the timeless aspect of it. Yeah. There's always going to be something primal and something seductive <laughs> about violence and anger and rage. We're always going to respond to a monologue. Yep, and. I'm again just far more interested in the boardroom than I am whatever the hell Peter Finch is saying oh, yeah. on TV. Well, the movie I think even makes the point about that, where it's like his his, his rantings and his ravings, whatever, however crazy he can get, it starts to become kind of dull. Yeah, and they start to realize that this just doesn't work anymore, so they get rid of him. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just a point to distract you from the, the stuff that actually matters. And the the, the movie makes a fine point that it, it you know the, the bad guys essentially win in the end. Sure, and that they're still living today. Um, that's that's sort of the scary element of it. That's where it starts to get like really, really cynical about it all. But it's right. I think they're correct. Yeah, I'm with you. My God, I have to watch this movie again. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a few years. This movie's so good. Nothing. Oh God, I are you lo- interested in the play? There's a play. Yeah, Cranston was in it. Really? It's on Broadway. I think he just won the Tony for it. Did he? Yeah, he's in the Peter Finch role. Really? Yeah. Oh, that's actually pretty good. Yeah, I'd like to see the play. I heard it was actually pretty good. It was just adapted into a play like last year. <laughs> I was watching it uh, like a m- couple months ago and I'm just like losing my shit over Ned Beatty in the film. <laughs> it is so, such an oh, like dramatic over the top scene with the lighting and everything. It feels like something out of like Dracula. Right. And I'm <laughs> it's just like his arms in the air. You have messed with the primal forces of nature. I'm just do you atone <laughs> and then it just all right am i getting through to you mr peel <laughs> i love it i love everything about the way this movie is cute <laughs> it's it's my baby in this movie you're right he just comes off the bench and gives yeah. you like five fire minutes yep 
just gives you like 12 points off the bench. Literally leaves you as stunned as uh, Peter Finch in that scene where you're just like mouth is on the floor. You're like, right. Oh my God. I'm seeing God. Mm. I've seen the face of God. You might just be my right, Mr. Beal. <laughs> Network, baby! Oh, I love it. Man, I'm, I, uh, man, what a year. Yep. What a year 76 was. All right, two more. And then we got to get going. Yeah, we do. Taxi Driver. Oh, yeah. This Taxi- is a movie that it's a, exists. It's a shit movie is what it is. You know, it's really fu- It's a it's pilot really, turn really is what this movie is, isn't like, it? It's like, I don't even know why you nominated this. should have nominated Bad News Bears. This is almost as bad as when you nominated Repo Man. Mm-hmm. In 1984. Accurate. Oh, so, so you're, you're being sarcastic. <laughs> Directed by Martin Scorsese, written by Paul Schrader. Mm-hmm. Starring Robert De Niro, Albert Brooks, Harvey Keitel, Sybil Shepard, and a 12-year-old Jodie Foster. <laughs> Nominated for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Supporting Actress, and Best Original Score. A mentally unstable veteran works as a nighttime taxi driver in New York City, where the perceived decadence and sleaze fuels his urge for violent action by attempting to liberate a presidential campaign worker and an underage prostitute. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. I just <clears throat> I don't know what to say about Taxi Driver other than I saw this movie and my life changed. It's like one of ten times this has ever happened to me. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I saw this movie and it was di- it was different. My life was different. It's another alien for me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This is the best movie I've ever seen. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 yeah, I mean, it kind of is. Kind of is. This is like your number two or three all time. Yeah. How do you do it? If I'm. It's Alien 1. Yeah, and this is like, I'll say it again, to, to use my analogy, there is no top five list that does not include Taxi Driver. There's yeah. no top five list that, that does not include Taxi Driver, Alien, or Jaws mm-hmm. in any order. And it flops all the fucking time. But yep. yeah, this movie is a is just a, a powerhouse of a movie in it, literally every respect. I mean, I have never seen anything so remarkable in my entire life, and I don't know if I ever will, <laughs> ever again. <laughs> it's the best single character study I think I've ever seen. Well, there's no doubt about that. Yes. It's uh, next to, J- you know, I I love Jake LaMotta, but I mean, this, uh, Travis Bickle is, oof, I re- Wow, that's a really interesting debate, isn't it? I really jump back and forth with this. I love De Niro in this movie because he just... Because I, I see a lot of De Niro and Jake LaMotta. Uh, he completely disappears in this movie for me. Co- completely. You know, Ugh. we are lucky enough to say we have we, we have 40 years of Martin Scorsese at our disposal. And as much as we'd like to kid about, oh, the guy has lost his step. And, <sighs> you know, as much as we like to talk about these directors as old relics, it really is a privilege to be able to say... We have the entire catalog. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's it, true. It's important to note how singular a vision this movie is and how pitch perfect every moment. You only get a movie like this once in your lifetime. You never make two of these movies. Nope. You know, you, you might get close, 
right? You might make The Godfather 2, but you're never going to make The Godfather. You you might make Raging Bull, but you're never going to make Taxi Driver. Mm-mm. There's just this energy to it. Yep. There's this youthful spirit to it. There's this excitement for the medium and this love of film. It, you only get that when you pour your entire soul into a movie. And I'm just sorry. There's, people are not capable of making two movies like Taxi Driver, right? Nope. So it's it's easy to say, oh, the guy's lost his step. But do you know how hard it is to make a movie this good? It's like next to like again, it's a miracle. It is. This movie's a fucking miracle. This is one of those movies where you could tell like Scorsese could not have made it at any other point in his life. Right, exactly. He had a very specific relationship to film and New York City at the time, mm-hmm. to his own personal life. Oh, sure. I mean, that guy was a fucking mess. Oh yeah. And he just used all of that and he just and, and this is what you get. <laughs> yeah. It's oh my god, this movie is just perfect. I mean, I, I, ugh, it's it's tough to 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 talk about it, you know. No, it's it's actually, yeah. I don't I don't want to keep saying everything about this movie is great, but it is, it really is pitch perfect. There's not a single thing about it that I think is bad. I can't think of one scene I would cut. Nope. I can't think of one actor I would cast differently. Mm-mm. Maybe Kaitel. No, nope. <laughs> but I don't think I would. Nope. There is not one shot I would do differently. There's not one cut I wouldn't make. It's just that type of movie. And it's that type of artifact. Yes. You know? It's one of those things you can put in a museum. There's nothing wrong with Taxi Driver. If you want to learn how to make a movie, this is how you do it. And I just keep going back to the fact that that guys aren't capable of making movies like this. You can go to film school all you want. You can spend years and years and years and years and you can make a really fucking good movie. You really yeah, can. Oh, absolutely. You can make a really good movie, but you have to be a genius to make Taxi Driver. <laughs> you understand? Yes. And you have to be, as you said, at the perfect period of your life in the right state of mind with the correct relationship to the material. And if this guy made Taxi Driver in 82, it would not look like it would have looked in 76. It's the kind of thing where it's like I look at I look at the movie and I think of Scorsese and w- what he must have been going through and it's like he's brilliant but like he, he he's a you know people like this who make movies like this are just as brilliant as they are stupid. Yeah. And that's kind of why this movie works the way it does is that he just trusts himself and trusts everybody making the film and he just goes for it. Mm. And it's a lot of people will call uh Raging Bull as magnum opus and maybe it is. Uh, and and I do flop back and forth with that one from time to time. But again, it's this is one of those movies. It's like wherever I, whenever I rewatch Taxi Driver, I'm like, yep, it's Taxi Driver. It's got to be Taxi Driver. It's so it's so good. Yeah, every time I flip it on, that is exactly my reaction. Yeah. Because I go back and forth on Goodfellas and Taxi Driver. Yeah. You know my thoughts on this, mm-hmm. but um, yeah, all roads lead back to that one. I think that says something about the movie, though. I, you know, I think certainly it does. It's the one that I think about the most. It's the one that is most resonant. The cinematography is just stunning. I love the storytelling is uh, so sublime. It's, it's just subversive and weird, but re- like again, just perfect. Yeah, perfect for this kind of a movie and just how strangely introspective it is. So it's a movie about society and specifically those that society has cast aside mm-hmm. and uh, put on the streets. Yep, to to do what they will do, and it's easy to make a movie like this. An over-the-top, heavy-handed social commentary. And there is a lot of social commentary in this movie. And it has a lot to say about how we treat veterans, how young men 
relate to the world specifically through violence and sex. Yep. Um, Travis Bickle goes to porn theaters and learns uh, to, you know, not think about sex in the right way. He has a very unhealthy relationship to women because of his porn habits. Mm-hmm. Um, he's very angry at the world and he doesn't like politicians and yep. he even considers assassinating a politician. Yep. Um, so it's easy to make a movie like this feel preachy, but the key is all themes, all commentary are born specifically from this character Mm -hmm. and that makes everything more relatable. It makes everything more easy to sympathize with. It, uh, makes all of these themes easier to understand because they are born out of our primal sense of violence and rage. Yeah. I really like Travis. Yeah. I like him a lot. But you feel bad for him. You feel really bad for him and you recognize he's not a good dude. He's no. He doesn't do good things. As a matter of fact, he's kind of a psycho. He's kind of a very, very bad guy. You think? Yes. Very much a psycho, yeah. I would say. A little yes. bit. <laughs> he's a terrible human being, but he is sort of an amalgamation of all social frustrations at that time. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, you could almost, almost, almost argue that that makes the film slightly dated, I mean, I don't. I I, I, would, I, I wouldn't. Even. I would never say that. <laughs> but I could. I could hear someone at least attempting to make that argument, and I'm just always like, "Fuck you!" It doesn't make it like the most compelling shit ever. <laughs> no, I don't think it is dated. I think all no. of the themes are just as resonant. If well, anything, the they're thing. even more resonant, especially today. Our yeah. relationship to politics, our oh relationship God, to yeah. pornography, our yeah. relationship to violence. Mm-hmm. It's only gotten worse over the years, bro. It True. hasn't gotten better. Yeah, we've treated veterans worse over the years. Yes. We've cast aside our young men. Uh, even more so over the years. Yep. Uh, I don't think these anxieties are any less um, uh, are, are any less legitimate. Mm-hmm. I think they're more legitimate in 2019. True. And I think if you show it to a specific young man, like college age, that's when I think I first watched this movie. Probably senior year of high school, freshman year of college. Yeah. I got it. Yeah. I just got it. It spoke to me because it's a movie that's like I'm tired. You know. Yeah, that's kind of how I always looked at it. It's just a movie that's that's I'm tired and I'm pissed off. That's kind of like the general attitude of the film. Mm. And yeah, I mean, I don't think there's a single person who can't relate to that. Yeah. Paul Schrader wrote this script in 10 days via two drafts, one after the other. He was writing with a loaded gun on his desk for motivation and inspiration. (laughs) What a weirdo. (laughs) Had a loaded gun on his table. Yep. A lot of it is, I guess, semi-autobiographical, um, and I'm sure Scorsese brought a lot of his own life experiences to the movie. It's very gritty and very raw. The portrayal of New York is nasty, is much different than the New York that you and I now know. Oh yeah, and had the privilege of knowing. It's just filthy. Yeah, Times Square was a place for the whores and the drug dealers, yeah. not for the uh, I love New York cats. Yeah, it's a place you don't want to wake up in. Right. Um, and it just feels so, um, <laughs> so real. And these characters, again, you wouldn't want to spend time with them, but you still care about them. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's the important distinction. You don't have to root for characters. You just have to care about what happens to them. And that's the brilliance of Travis Bickle, mm-hmm. you know? Well, the fact that it goes to such lengths to, to, to make that point, I mean, the whole movie, I mean... <laughs> You're placed in the mind of 
like essentially a psychopath. Mm-hmm. And what it builds to is said psychopath uh, uh, trying to save a prostitute. Sure. And you care the entire way through. That's really saying something about... And you almost applaud the violence. It's ugly and it's gratuitous and you, you, I I guess, recognize it as a form of justice. It's a lot of mixed things with me. I never quite responded to it as, like, uh, heroism. Yeah. I remember when I first saw it, I was actually, like, really, like, like surprised by it. Because, I I, I mean, I I knew something crazy was coming, but I didn't think it would... I don't think I knew it was going to be presented to me quite that way. Yeah. Because it is really shocking. It's very bloody. When the bullet goes through the guy's hand. Oh, my God. to me when... It's it's that it's the moment where he shoots the guy multiple times in the face. Yeah, it's just everything where he shoots the guy in the head and the blood hits the back of the 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 wall, which is a common thing in movies. But there's something about the way they do it here that's just nasty and the dripping sounds afterwards. There's something not quite right about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, that is entirely the point. The Clinton, the iconic of him, the shot of him blowing his head up. Yep. Oh God. It's- yeah, there is. Just endless amounts of iconography in this. You Talking to Me was named the number 10 movie quote of all time by AFI. Mm-hmm. Number 22 on the all-time thrills list. Number 52 on the all-time movie list, a little low. And strangely enough, number 30 on the all-time villains list. Would you describe Travis as a villain? No. I think anti-hero would be more accurate, right? Accurate, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he does evil things, but um, it's Still- seeing it through his eyes. Mm-hmm. And you relate. It's interesting, though, because... Uh, I the the movie I I remember when I first cause like because I saw it when I uh, sometime in high school I was always like very struck by the ending and it took me a couple watches to understand that he's still crazy at the end yeah completely nuts so do you give any credence to the it's all in his head theory no, well I I know Scorsese doesn't okay. Which which helps because I don't I, I really don't like thinking that it's all in his head. I'm not. It doesn't. Uh, it it takes away a, a lot of. Uh, I mean, maybe it can work. It certainly makes it less effective for me. It, it gives me a a, a greater greater sense of like, okay, if that's really all that's going on, then I don't care. I can forget about this person. Sure, they're not. They're they're of no impact to the rest of society to me. I'm not generally a huge fan of those types of theories, but this is the one movie where it kind of makes sense. It, the only scene where. He's not featured is when Keitel and Jodie Foster are dancing. Mm-hmm. That really creepy scene. I get goosebumps yeah. every time I watch that one. They're dancing in the hotel room. That's the only time Travis is not on screen. Yeah, I know. And so it's, I guess, easy to assume you can make the leap of faith that that's a that's an illusion. That that's what he's dreaming about. Mm-hmm. You know, and everything else. Um, there is sort of an elevated fantastical element to it yeah well especially with that opening with the with the new york haze and the car window and all that it is very fantastical but i think even i love the fact that it is you know sort of oversaturated in that way at the beginning it could again it it, the movie is telling a very violent and oppressive story so it makes sense that visually it would be presented in such a way yeah yeah especially towards the end it's not um as far as like the like the I mean, is it in his head? I, I, I don't know. Put it this way. It wouldn't bother me if that was actually what was happening. I, I guess not. It just doesn't... If that's the case, I'm not sure if the... Well, did the film earn it? Maybe. That's the real question. Does it earn that kind of an Right. Thing? I don't know if it insinuates that hard enough. I don't know. Certain scenes work better for me. Like, like my favorite scene in the movie is, uh, is actually with Scorsese. Oh, my God. That scene is great. I love what that says. You know who's in there? 
Well, I'm not going to well, say the line. You, you going to say the line? <laughs> no, I'm not going to do uh, it. I was like, he's going to, what? <laughs> I wrote a whole essay on that one scene in college. Mm-hmm. Similar to the way that you studied network, I guess, because we I, took many of the same film classes because yeah. we went to the same school. Um, I did a whole dissertation on on Taxi Driver. I think I did. I write it. I might have written about that scene, yeah. but I just, ugh. I love that. I love just watching Travis in that scene because I love the idea that it's it like this guy is so terrifying to him, but he's so fascinated by him where he could go and do exactly what this right. guy's talking about. Right. It's just like like this is terrifying. This is like what are you talking about? But like like tell me more. Yeah. Oh God, it's great. It's so damn good. Scorsese says that the most important shot in the movie is when Bickle is on the phone trying to get another date with Betsy and the camera moves to the side slowly and pans down the long empty hallway next to Bickle to suggest that the phone conversation is too painful and pathetic to bear Scorsese couldn't bear it so we had to turn the camera away in a movie where the guy is just shooting <laughs> pimps and hanging out at porno theaters and assassinating politicians, the hardest shot to bear is him getting broken up with. But we feel it. There's a, we, there's a little bit of Travis in all of us. We're yeah. like, yeah, we get it. Yeah. Ah, dude, I could talk two hours about oh, Taxi God, Driver. Oh, God, we do. We're not But let's close. not do that. We are not. By the way, Bernard Herrmann's score, the, the last thing he ever composed, it's brilliant and i applaud you sir rest in peace you want to move on anything else it's i don't know it's a perfect movie what do you want me to say we'll talk about it in a second don't you worry okay what if i told you i'd never seen rocky that'd be so fucking funny rocky directed by john jay or John G. Albertson, the great director of Rocky Five, director of Rocky Five and the Karate Kid, mm-hmm. and Rocky, and that's it. <laughs> <laughs> Written by a little guy named Sylvester Stallone, starring the great Sylvester Stallone, Talia Shire, Burt Young, Carl Weathers, and I think one of my favorite human beings of all time, Burgess Meredith. No, that's okay. I just fucking love that guy. Who doesn't love Burgess? You Meredith? need a manager, Rock. <laughs> yep. Winner of Best Picture, Best Director, and Best Film Editing at the Academy Awards. Also nominated for Best Actor. What a snub. I was going to say. What a snub. Should have won. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, twice over. Best Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Original Song. He should have won, shouldn't he? Who? Stallone. Yeah. 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 This is one of the great Cinderella stories of all of Hollywood. I Did think. we have to give this no. to Peter Finch? Is it that important? No. What's worse, Peter Finch wins in 76, or he loses to that guy from Bridge of Spies in 2012? Well, first of all, I think his performance is better in uh, Creed. Yeah? Uh, but, the, the, he, no, I think Creed's worse. Yeah. Because Creed is the culmination of his career. Right. And they just snubbed us of that moment. Yep. What's that guy's name again? Mark Rylance. Mark Rylance. Like, no one is going to remember that name in 30 years. No one's going to remember that performance. How do you not give it to Stallone? I don't know. The man has never won an Oscar uh, for portraying one of the most iconic film characters of all time. Yep. Um, it is, as you said, one of the great Hollywood stories ever. Um, Stallone wrote this script. He was a struggling actor. Had a couple pornos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, <laughs> we all have our demons. <laughs> the footage is available online. Oh, jeez. I think I forget what the movie was called. Oh, God. Have you seen it? 
No, I haven't seen it, <laughs> but I know of its existence, and it's a porn. Oh, shoot. I'll, I'll look it up in a second. What is the Stallone porn? It, it was one of his... Hold on. Because um, the tagline on it is just so great. Um, actor in... Oh, the party, the party at Kitty and Studs, and the tagline on it... <laughs> Yeah. Is before he was Rocky, he was and still is the Italian stallion. <laughs> Dear God. I mean, good for him, I guess. <laughs> the party at Kitty and Studies. That's Stallone's first performance. But anyway, he's a struggling actor, writes this script, is offered at the time an unprecedented $350,000 by the studio. Stallone at the time had $106 in his bank account, no car. And was trying to sell his dog because he couldn't afford to feed it. But he refused to sell the script unless he could star in the movie himself. He bet on himself. Yep. And he creates, by his own accord, um, one of the great action movie careers of all time. Yep. Like, he is just a self-made movie star. And there are not many of those people. And when you see somebody like Vin Diesel trying his best to make the Fast and Furious movies what they are, they're, they're all chasing Sylvester Stallone's muse. They've already missed it. Well, sure, they've already missed it. Yeah. But he proved that it is possible to bet on yourself yep. in this cutthroat business mm-hmm. and win. And that's sort of what Rocky is about. It's a beautiful movie in that way. Yeah. It's, and it's, even, it's gotten even better for me knowing that story, too. Right. There's a meta-narrative to it. Yes. Right? It's... The underdog story in Hollywood, but also the underdog story on screen. And he gets his dog back. And he does get his dog back. That's right. It's so sad. It's so great. It, oh, it's touching as hell. Love it. Yeah. Obviously, if we're talking about iconography, number 78 on AFI's all-time movie list. Um, the number 52 thriller, number seven hero, mm-hmm. also feels kind of low. Seven? Yeah. Who were the six heroes above Rocky? Uh, probably Indiana Jones and Han Solo. Oh, stop it. Rocky's <laughs> higher than them. Nah. Gonna Fly Now, number 58 movie song. Yo, Adrian, number 80 movie quote. Number four on the all-time movie cheers list. And number two, just behind Raging Bull on their all-time sports list. Um, we talk about the criteria all the time on this podcast. There's no way we cannot give the most iconic, the fondest legacy to Rocky. Because... There are very few movies that reach this level of iconography. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's it's another movie where you've seen it, even if you haven't seen it. Yeah. Everyone, but everybody has, though. Yeah, no. Yeah. Everyone knows Stallone as Rocky. And it's, again, like I am actually surprised. He probably should be a little bit higher than that. One of the most iconic characters maybe ever. Yeah. Possibly the best sports film ever made. Sure. Yeah, certainly one. Uh, if not one, it's number two. Well, I don't really consider Raging Bull to be a sports film in the traditional sense. No. Because the plot is not about the sport. Sure, but aren't those always like the best versions of that movie? Sure. Yeah. But if we're talking about pure, pure yeah. sports movie, as the, the actual conflict... Is represented in the ring. Okay. Yeah, I don't think uh, you get better than Rocky. Accurate. And it's just one of the most... It's like, if you want, like, the inspiring movie that is still actually... Because you see many movies that are, quote-unquote, an inspiring tale, but they're kind of cheesy and they're lame and, you know, you just don't, they just don't resonate. It's happened to me a lot where I've gone to see movies like that and I'm just like, I just don't care. Yeah. I just don't care. It just doesn't work at all for me. It feels so artificial. But this is just, like, like could there, there's, there's nothing phony about this to me. Yeah, it's almost selling it short to call it just an inspirational movie. Yeah. 
because it is an incredible character piece. Mm-hmm. You know, as you said, Stallone should have won the Oscar that year. He is so good and has never been better than no. he was in Rocky, the original. Um, and like, I respond to the scenes out of the ring more so than I do the scenes in the ring. Me too. Although that final sequence is awesomely directed. Exhilarating. Yeah, it is exhilarating for sure. I mean, when I saw Rocky's eye get cut open <laughs> as a kid, yeah. like that was a traumatic experience for me. I still have that image seared in my head. Mm-hmm. Um, God, do I love Adrian and Rocky's first date. Oh, man. It's like my, one of my favorite things ever. Do I, I love I could, when they're on the skating rink? I just love him moving. Yeah. Um, it's just like there's so much like character in that moment. Just if you look at him next to her and how she's moving versus how he's moving. And her like like quiet uh, uh, approach to handling him, mm-hmm. it just works, man. It's just and you just get them right off the bat. Yeah, like you know exactly what their dynamics going to be like. Yeah, even when like he's with Polly and he's trying to convince her to go out, and he's like, <laughs> "Hey, yo, Adrian is Rocky. I uh, never talked to no door before. <laughs> <laughs> I got nobody to spend Thanksgiving with. You know, it's like this this you Philly fuck." <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's um, it's uh, it's Rocky. I don't. It's uh, it's Rocky. We've spent a lot of time talking about Rocky on podcast. The problem, right? yeah, we've t- we talked too almost like too much Rocky. This is not the first time we've done Rocky. So right, yeah. I I I don't know, man. It's it's like it's incredible. Yeah. What do you want? What do you again? I hate coming back to that, but what do you want me to say? <laughs> I don't want you to say anything. Yeah, just that you love Rocky. I love Rocky. Of course, I love Rocky. Okay. If you've seen my list of favorite films, it is one. It's certainly one of them. It is highlighted uh, red. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, let's do this. Um, it's a two horse race, right? Yeah, unfortunately. Okay. And so, I ha- go ahead. And I hate. Well, I hate crossing off these other movies, but yes, it's it's very obvious which are the two. So goodbye, Marathon Man, Carrie, All the President's Men, and Network. We are down to just Taxi Driver and Rocky. Jesus. Um, so, here is our dilemma. Ugh. Adam Hall. Iconography or legacy is one. Impact is two. And quality is three. So, hmm. where do we stand on this? Okay. Okay. <coughs> uh. <laughs> I mean, you know where I stand. You know, you know it from me. <laughs> well, let's talk about it. Legacy yeah. is obviously Rocky. Yes. Yeah. Impact is uh, is Taxi Driver. Yes, right? I was going to say if you want, if you want, like, uh, if you go to again, it's it's another. If, if you're looking at the 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 lists of filmmakers who have their favorite movies, this is on. I think like like more so because I, I was talking about Terminator last time. Yeah, and that's on a lot of lists. Taxi Driver is on every single fucking list. Yeah, it may be the most common. Just yes. for directors, their personal top ten. Yes. Not necessarily the most important movies ever, but the movies that inspired others to make movies. Yeah. Those are the most important films for me. The ones that just inspired generations across the board. That yeah. That just changed the game in that and, way. And that's not to say that Rocky didn't impact film going um, in a major, major way. No. I mean, it set the template for all sports movies to come. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're right. I think impact does go to Taxi Driver. So the question is quality, and um, man, we just talked very highly about Taxi Driver, didn't we? I, I, you want honest, honestly? I do, yeah. I think it's a tremendously better film. Okay. I don't think it's that far apart. I don't. I don't. I, I think for what Rocky is trying to accomplish, look, man, there are not many scenes that I would take out of that movie, and that's often how I define quality. You know, what would I change 
These yeah. are two close to perfect movies. I agree. You know? But there, you, there's not one bad performance in either movie. No. There's not uh, one unnecessary scene. Mm-hmm. There's not... Uh, there, there's not one shot that I would choose to do differently in either movie. So, by quality, in terms of what these two things are trying to accomplish... It's close. It's close. I agree. But I think I am with you there, though. Taxi Driver is one of the best movies of all time. No, it's like... you. I love Rocky to death. I didn't walk away from Rocky thinking like that's the best movie ever made. Yeah. Certainly, well, maybe when I was eight, I might have thought that. Like, like I understand why everyone loves it. How about that? Yeah. It's it, it, and, and for good reason. It's fantastic. But I didn't walk, walk away with like this epiphanic moment where I'm just like, like I that is more than just a movie. Like what it, what what just happened to me? I feel like like I was struck by lightning or something. You know? Like I said, Taxi Driver to, to me it feels like a goddamn miracle. Like nothing this good should ever have existed, but it somehow does. And we have Scorsese because of it, essentially. I appreciate that you worked the word epiphanic into this podcast. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Is it too much? No, I'm just happy you're getting good use out of that word of the day calendar. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I like that <laughs> word. Leave me alone. <laughs> Why is it whenever I say something smart, <laughs> I get shit on? <laughs> And then you use words like ire, and I'm like, well, go fuck yourself, man. (laughs) I don't mean to be pejorative over here. (laughs) Congratulations to Taxi Driver (laughs) in the movie Hall of Fame. You plebeian. Um, let's. <laughs> I'm a pariah, actually. Don't forget. <laughs> oh, boy, that was a lot of fun. Yes, it was. All right, there we go. Taxi Driver in the movie Hall of Fame over, um, again, like four or five of my favorite movies ever. Yeah. Like, Jesus Christ, what a year. Awesome was. year. Awesome year. Totally stacked. Um, this was fun. I think we made a lot of progress today, Adam mm-hmm. Hall. What do you think? I was worried about this year. I've been thinking about it for a while, but we got past it. Yeah. We did. It's now in uh, in the rearview mirror. So, next week, we are taking a break from Movie Hall of Fame shenanigans, yes. right? Yes, yes, yes. We don't want to draft anything now. Let's say we're do- let's let's do what we said we were going to do. Okay, Midsummer. Yes, Somar. So what? Midsummer. Just say Midsummer. Okay, we're going to do that next week, and maybe I'll see Toy Story by then, and maybe I'll see Spider Man. But the crux of the conversation is going to be Ari Aster's horror. Uh, masterpiece maybe question mark midsummer yeah we'll talk about it on movie hopping that's correct i'm so excited to sit in a theater and giggle the entire time while you hide under your shirt sign me up it's a date (laughs) (laughs) nico and adam dates are just the best Uh, there's something for sure (laughs) they're about as good of a date as the events in midsummer are as a vacation it's about equal. I can't wait to see what happens with the movie. <laughs> so, um, do check out the website, please. Too many thoughtsmedia.com or tmt.media. Please subscribe. Why is this a thing? I thought a pretty good conversation about the beach bum this week. Oh, yeah. Great conversation. Yeah. I listened back to it. I was like, this is good. Yeah, it's did, a good pod. We did a good job. Yeah, Very check that job. out yeah. on, those, on the site. Also, Fantasy Book of the Month. Mm-hmm. Get blurted. New podcasts. It would mean a lot to us if you subscribe to those things. You like video games, don't you? And you like books. 
Yeah. Well, like, subscribe. Come on, guys. Hit, hit, smash that subscribe button. <laughs> Show that you are, are educated people, that you love all sorts of media like games and books, and you know. You'll, you'll be number one to us. Yeah, we got everything for you. Yes. All of your pop culture needs and desires are available on the site, so do check that out. We are the pinnacle of pop culture and media on this planet. Yeah, I think... I think that's what we are. I think it's Entertainment Weekly and us. Yes. Yeah. Basically. 60 Minutes. <laughs> nah, 60... We're better than 60 Minutes. Jesus Christ. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Love you so very, very much. Um, and I think... That will do it. Until next time, Adam Hall. I like this one. Why do you want to fight? Because I can't sing a dance. Hey, you. Hey, you.